0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at two separate passages. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, just those two verses where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaks about divorce. And then then we're going to look at first corinthians chapter 7 beginning with verse 10 and so we believe that the bible is the word of god this is why we ask you to stand that it's authoritative over our lives so we'll begin with matthew chapter 5 beginning with verse 31 this is the word of the lord it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him let her or let him give her a certificate of divorce But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 10. And the words will be on the screen, by the way. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So that's Paul going back to the Sermon on the Mount, saying this is what Jesus had said. And also, he's going back to Matthew 19. He so, said, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And then verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, So he's saying, you know, Jesus didn't speak into this part. Now under the authority as an apostle and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to speak into this area. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Or bound is a better, interp- a better translation for that word. That's, uh, doulos is the Greek word. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You may be seated. So this is, yeah, I promised uh, a couple weeks ago when we uh, addressed divorce and remarriage, and I said we will address uh, uh, domestic violence and abuse and, and, and how the Bible speaks into things where you find yourself in a, a maybe a toxic marriage, a very bad marriage. And so I believe the Bible does speak into that. We have to ease our way into that in this sermon. There's a lot of ground to cover. There's no way I'm going to be able to preach everything that I wrote in my manuscript You just go to go to the manuscript I'll give you an an idea of uh, how much is in the manuscript typically when I write my sermons my manuscript is around four to five pages this manuscript was seven so there's more in the manuscript than what I will say so I encourage you to go online uh, when it's posted and you can you can read there Uh, When it comes to domestic violence, this is a personal issue for me. Some of you know my story. You know I grew up in a in a home where my father was not kind to the women in his life. Uh, There was one instance that was forever. The images are forever seared in my mind, where my father physically assaulted my stepmother, and I I was seventeen years old. I was a new Christian. My father had been a supposed supposed Christian. For a year before that, he had her by her throat, and he, th- and he was threatening her, and I had to intervene. I had to get between my father and my stepmother. My dad pulled a knife, and uh, it, it, it was escalating. He told me, who I consider my father one of, like my best friend, he said, if you do not move out of my way, I will hit you. And I said to him, Dad, if that's what you need to do, then do it. But you are not touching her. And, and so I had to kick him out of the house. My dad was not a little man. <laughs> he was a black belt in Taekwondo. He was a, I don't know what, how I was able to have him leave. I think that night felt very demonic to me. Uh, and for, for, I think it was the Holy Spirit and God just using me to intervene so that no harm would be done to my stepmother. This is a personal issue for me. And so I want to just say that up front because statistically speaking, there's a chance that, if you're, that you're here and somebody in this congregation has suffered or is suffering domestic violence. And so uh, we will touch on that, but before we get there, we've got we've to ease our way into, into what the Bible you know, says concerning these things. And so, here's what I want to say at the very beginning. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've heard Christians say over and over again, well, my experience says this versus what the Word of God says. The, the question when it comes to understanding what the Bible says or how the, Bible speaks into, the Word of God speaks into a situation in your life The question must never begin with, what does my experience have to say about what God thinks? It'd be easy for me to go back to my experience with my father and the way he treated my stepmother and for me to say, well, then she should have divorced him based on my experience. Rather, we should ask this question, what does the Bible say about what God thinks? And how does that speak into our lives? Like we've been diving into the Sermon on the Mount, and some of you have, have come to me and you've shared, you know, I've, I've not really considered this before. Like, this is what a Christian looks like. I, I, I heard, was it last week? There was somebody watching the live stream, somebody who doesn't really believe in Jesus. And uh, she's been watching the sermon series. I think her response was, I guess we're going to hell. You know, it, it, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is, choose, chose his words very carefully in the Sermon on the Mount. And we dare not add to what he said or sugarcoat what he said. What he said is what he meant to say. So then you, you, you come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, and he says this thing about divorce and remarriage. And what he said is exactly... What he said, the context for what he, for when he said this was he was speaking to these religious leaders, and I would say religious men, who were just on a whim divorcing their spouses. And they thought that Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, gave them permission to do so. So it got so bad to the point where if, you're, if, the, person, if the guy's wife cooked a bad meal, they're like, well... Divorce time, and uh, and Jesus was speaking into that, and 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 so he speaks into that, and then Paul in in First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, Paul is speaking into the the repercussions of this, you know, a married couple who didn't believe in Jesus. What do you do when the husband or the wife? gives their life to Jesus, and their life is so radically changed that the the other spouse wants nothing to do with their religion that has so shaped that person in a way that that person's not the same. That person's not the same person that he or she married. What do you do in that situation when the husband who's not a believer or the wife who is not a believer wants out of the marriage? That's what Paul was speaking into. And so when he says, I but not the Lord, he's not saying, hey, just treat this a little less, with a little less authority than what Jesus said. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus spoke into this area, and now I'm going to speak into an area that Jesus was silent concerning. All under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why I said at the very beginning, I think earlier in the sermon series, the red letters, if you have a red-letter Bible where all Jesus' words are red letters, those red letters are not more authoritative than everything else in the Bible. They're just as authoritative. So what Jesus said carries just as much weight as what you read in Genesis chapter 1. And so, uh, so the question that begs to be answered, is divorce in cases other than adultery acceptable? And the answer is, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is yes. To the married, I'm jumping into 1 Corinthians 7, by the way. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that you should not pursue a divorce. You should not separate from your husband. You ought not, but if, if a divorce happens, then you shouldn't get remarried. And then he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, if she wants to remain in the marriage, then make it work. But don't compromise your faith. I mean, see what he's saying here. Read between the lines. Paul is assuming that if you become a Christian, your life is going to so, be so radically transformed that it's going to be off-putting to your spouse who doesn't know Jesus. I said this early in the sermon series. Jesus is not like the boarding pass that you get... At the airport where you put you take it between your fingers you 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 go through security you get to the place where you're going to board the plane you show the person your boarding pass they scan it you walk onto the plane you come off the plane if you don't have a connecting flight what do you do with the boarding pass you get rid of it it was just good enough to get you on the plane that is not Christianity Jesus is not a boarding path. He demands to be treasured and embraced. That's what he said in Luke chapter 14. Any person who wants to follow me must take up his cross and what? Follow me. And if you do that, everything else is a distant second. So he said, you must be willing to hate mother and father and sister and your brother. He's not saying hate them, like be mean to them or... He's saying places of preeminence. He is preeminent. Everything else is second. And, uh, and Paul is assuming that if you're a Christian, your life will be so radically changed that there will, be some, there, there will be some individuals in a marriage who do not believe in Jesus who will be so put off by that they don't want anything to do with it. There will be some we're like I love this person. I don't get the whole Jesus thing, but I love this person and I'm in this marriage. And the Christian is called to make it work. And uh and he says later in in chapter 7 like he you know, by being in the marriage, your husband, your your wife, your children will be made holy. What is he saying there? He's saying that Not that they'll get to heaven because of their association with you. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, by your example as a follower of Jesus, you will be the most tangible, most most, uh, real expression of Jesus in that home. That that husband, that unbelieving husband or unbelieving wife or those children from that marriage, that they will, will have more of an opportunity to not only hear the gospel but receive it because you are in the home. They're not just going to church once a week or once a month. They're in church every day of the week because you're a living expression of Jesus. Not just by what you say, but by how you live your life. And so uh, I just want to set that all out there so, so to, as a foundation for, for unpacking what, you know, what, what the sanctity of marriage and what happens when you find yourself in an, in an abusive situation. Like Jesus said, do not think, it's Matthew chapter 10, the words will be on the screen. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You, you, don't, see those on, you don't see that verse on Christmas cards, do you? It's like, put that one on there. Uh, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And he goes on to say, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why? Because Jesus, he is the better way. And everything else will find its place in your life if Jesus is the treasure of your life. It will affect the way you treat others. Your relationship with him will affect the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your children, the way you treat your neighbors. It will just have that kind of effect on you as you live a life that to, to, seeks to, to, to follow him. And so Paul says, you know what? If your unbelieving spouse wants to stay in the marriage, fantastic, work on it. If your unbelieving spouse doesn't want to stay in the marriage, don't make it difficult on them, let them go. Let them go. Not like, hey, see you later. <laughs> Not like that kind of let, you go, let it go. But if that person really wants out, let it go. And Paul says in, in chapter 7, you are not bound or you are not enslaved. And in the context of chapter 7, I believe what he's saying there is you're no longer bound to that marriage and that you're free to remarry. He says, because he makes a similar statement to widows, he says, if possible, you should stay single. It's not worth the trouble. (laughs) It's pretty much (laughs) spoken like a single guy. Um, But if... If you can't control your, your desires and your urges and, and if that's not what God has called you to then, then you're free to marry. I believe he's saying the same thing to the person who's been deserted by an unbelieving spouse. But what does that say to the rest of us? Right? right? Um, what does it mean to be deserted? Here's where I need to tread really lightly. Because I'm told in the Bible that as a pastor, as one who teaches the Word of God, I will be judged much more strictly. And so I, like last week before I, before the first service, my heart rate was at 107 beats per minute. My resting heart rate is in the high 50s. Uh, I was I was like I walked up to Scott and said, "Brother, pray for me because I, I I know uh, just just the anxiety and Pain that's, that's represented in our church family because of divorce and remarriage and, and now abuse. And, and so I recognize that. So, my second point is is divorce and remarriage biblically permissible in a marriage gone bad? And so, here is what I'll say there are four views about divorce and remarriage. Uh, words will be on the screen. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. Divorce and remarriage, in any case, is never permitted. This is well, amongst Christians. These are the different uh, positions that Christians hold. Secondly, divorce is permitted in certain cases, but remarriage is never permitted. Third, divorce and remarriage is permitted only in the case of adultery and or the desertion of an unbeliever. And in fourth, divorce and remarriage is, is acceptable for a wide range of reasons. And here's my response to that: Who cares what other people think? What does the Word of God say? Right? Because I I I hear that as a pastor. Well, so and so said it's okay to get a divorce, and so and so said you must never. If you get a divorce, you can never remarry. Who cares what other people say? What does the Word of God say? That's the authority. That's why I tell you, sit down when I preach, because. Anything I have that's good to offer you, offer you is in this book. And anything that I say that's outside this book, throw it away. And when you go home today, or when the manuscript is, is made available on the website, examine what I say, to whether or not it's true. And if it's not, throw it away. Get rid of it. But who cares what other people think? A better view to hold is the one that cares less about what others think and more about what God has to say about it. What does God have to say about it? It's been my whole MO as a pastor. What does the Word of God have to say about it? And sometimes my heart rate gets up to 107 beats per minute before I say what I believe the Word of God says about it. But at the end of the day, I'm not accountable to you. I will stand before King Jesus one day, and he will ask me, how did you care for my church and how did you care and love your wife and your children that's what haunts me so what you know what is marriage let's go let's go right back to that and I'll just kind of do a survey of this what is marriage from the beginning was divorce ever in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before the fall of Adam and Eve no just like death was not in, you'll, you won't see death in Genesis 1 and 2. Death pops up on the scene at the end of chapter 3. And you had the first dis, dysfunctional issue in a family in, in chapter 4, when Cain killed Abel. And so, so this is what we read in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. What's the purpose of marriage? God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, what did he say? He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living things that move on the earth. What is he saying here? He's saying... <laughs> fill the earth with people like you that worship me that's the first statement on discipleship by the way is right there in Genesis chapter 1 care for creation be a team together serve together live together and then in, in chapter 2 he kind of the the scriptures unpack that role so so how did they get to Chapter one, verses you know, in, in those verses twenty-seven through twenty-eight. Well, we're told in chapter two, this is how it started. So the Lord, you know, Adam and Eve, or Adam was naming the animals. Like, wow, this is great. I wish I had somebody to to help me, like like me, you know, some like these guys, like these critters. And um, so God caused him to go into a deep sleep, and while he slept took one of his ribs, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. And then the man said, whoa, man. (laughs) No, he said woman. Sorry. It's like a dad joke. Um, This at least is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. (laughs) See, it's there. Because she was taken out of man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is such a key verse right there, a sentence, that they were naked and unashamed. So what what was going on there? What was happening in this? Well, in marriage, they become one flesh. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Your relationship with your spouse will be like no other relationship on planet Earth. You will be closer to that spouse, or you ought to be, than your own mother and father. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The only time shame comes into the picture is when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And, uh, and so in that marriage, in, in that first marriage, we learned that marriage is a place God designed for the thriving of life, joy, love, and pleasure, all of that to be experienced within that community between a man and a woman in the context of a covenant called marriage. And, and the world turns that upside down. You know you can enter into that without that covenant, you can live together, you can have sex before marriage, you can do all those things and and, and it just it perverts the very good thing that god that God is blessed and so Paul the apostle Paul picks up on that, and he says in ephesians chapter five I have the verse here. Let's read this together, ready? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now listen, hold on, wait. When we read this, think deeply about what you're reading, ready? This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What does he say about marriage? It's pointing to the church and Christ's relationship with the church, that your marriage is something bigger than just the two of you coming together. So everything that the church is commanded to to do, and everything that the church, capital C, Christians, are commanded to treat, uh, how they treat one another, should be first experienced and expressed in the home between a man and a woman, as husband and wife. So there are a, there are a, a lot of one another passages in the Bible. I just want to just skim through 12 of them. I'm not even going to comment on them. The scripture references will be on the screen if you want to look them up sometime. Love one another. That is a command repeated at least 16 times in those one another passages. Be devoted to one another, serve one another. All this commanded to the church bear one another's burdens, be patient with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, look to the interests of one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, and clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. The first place that that should be experienced is in the home between a husband and his wife. Have you ever thought about that? If if marriage is a a metaphor, a picture of Christ's relationship to the church, then all the things that are commanded of the church, it should be experienced in the home. What What would it look like if that were true in every Christian home? What would that look like? Would it ruin your marriage if you were devoted to one another? Would it make your marriage weaker if you served one another? Would it, would it mess things up if you forgave one another and kept short accounts? Would it, would it mess things up if you looked to the interests of one another? Or prayed for one another? You know, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, you probably have You know, how many of you are married? You probably had this read at your marriage, right? your wedding. Or at least you found it on a card somewhere. (laughs) Ready? Let's read this together. Love is patient and kind. That's love, and Jesus calls us to a better way. And He says, like in the context of the home between a man and his wife, uh, it, it, you ought to like that's what love looks like. And and if you are a follower of Jesus, love one another, be devoted to one another. All the one another passages in the Bible apply to you, husband. It applies to you, wife. So let me ask you this question. I was thinking about this last week. What would it look like, because we've been spending some time in the Sermon on the Mount, what would your marriage look like if both of you looked at the Sermon on the Mount as the ideal, the center that Jesus is calling you to, and you strived to emulate that in your home? What would that look like for your marriage? What would that do for your marriage? Think about it. What do you think will develop in a marriage of two people who were poor in spirit, mourn over their own sins and have surrendered their will to the will of God. What would that look like? There would be a lot of dying to self, wouldn't there be? What will come of the person who would like to be married, single people, you need to hear this, or those who are married who genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness? I can't tell you how many times I've listened to somebody uh, talk about their living situation. They're not married, and uh, he's just such a nice person, or she's just everything I ever wanted. If you hungered and thirsted for righteousness, you wouldn't be sleeping together, and you wouldn't be in the same ha- home together. Because your satisfaction will be first met by Jesus. And if, if you, if husband, wife, if you are a single person, if you hungered and thirst for righteousness in the context of your marriage, if you are, are a Christian, then what is true of you is that you arrived at the cross as one who was poor in spirit, you arrived at the cross because you were mourning over your sin, and you arrived at the cross because you said, not my will, your will, because your will is the better way. If, if, that, is, if that is your heart... Then I can guarantee you, out of your lips, will never come the word divorce. If that's your heart, the first thing that may come out of your mouth is how do we get reconciled? How do we fix this? How do we, you know, what, is, what does Jesus want for this situation? Because, you know, you're going to, you know, human beings, me included, we suck, right? Like, we're, we're really good at hurting people. Um, we're really good at, at, um, at looking out for our own interests at the expense of others. Yesterday I did a, a Denver Century ride. You're asking, well, what's that? It's 100, 103 miles. Now you're asking, why would you ride a bike for 103 miles? I was asking myself the same question yesterday. Uh, why am I doing this? My butt hurts, my leg hurts, my, my, my knees hurt, um, I'm sweating, and my eyes burn from sweat. Why am I doing this? Right? But at the beginning of the Denver Century Ride, we heard a scream, and uh, we were riding through the city, and uh, it was a female scream, and so turned around and saw that one of the cyclists went down. So uh, Ben McKay, one of our elders, we, we rode it together. Um, I don't know if he's here, but watch, you know, we <laughs> were wondering if, we're gonna, if it's going to look like we rode a horse all day um, when we're walking around church. But... Uh, we turn around, and here's this lady on the ground, and she's crying. She's like probably in her 40s, just crying it because she's in so much pain. And I asked, what, you know, what happened? And she said, this man just walked in front of me, and he was, he was standing there, and he's kind of indifferent. He was indifferent. He was like, well, I thought I had time. And he kept looking at his watch. I really need to leave. i got to catch my train. And, and inside, I was like, are you kidding me? And then out, out of my mouth said, no, you're not going anywhere. You need to stay here until somebody comes to care for this woman. Um, <laughs> and there were other things that I was thinking, and I was keeping that in check. But, <laughs> uh, but the, like, like if you're, you know, we have a tendency to look out for our own interests, and, and Jesus calls us to this better way. And so, here we go. I think that in in a home where two Christians are seeking to follow Jesus, you're going to sin against each other, but you're seeking to follow Jesus. The word divorce, when it comes to your relationship, will not be the first thing out of your mouth. It ought not to be. And what of the spouse who is not a believer who understands very little of what true love is? What about a man or a woman who claims to be a Christian but his or her life looks nothing like the gospel-centered that Jesus calls us to? Can a person who claims to have had a life-saving encounter with Jesus remain unchanged And I would say no. And I think you're seeing that in the Sermon on the Mount. Can such a person continue to treat a spouse or child in in abusive ways with absolute confidence that he or she is a Christian? And I would say no. And here's the thing. In a nation where domestic violence is experienced by 10 million adults annually where one in seven children experience some form of physical abuse or neglect, the chances are that that that, that kind of violence has found its way into your home. It's pretty high. If you are a person, Christian or not, and are guilty, presently guilty, of domestic violence on your wife, your husband, or your children, you are not only guilty of sinning against a, a member of your family, but you cannot, listen to me, you cannot claim to love that person if you lay your hands on that person in a violent way. That is not love. And, and I, I've had many uh, counseling sessions where. Especially the woman, because one out of four women experience domestic abuse, abuse. One out of ten men experience domestic abuse. So, more I've encountered mo- all, well, just about w- all women um, who've experienced domestic ab- abuse, and they always feel guilty for wanting to call the police on their on their husband who claims to love them, especially after he says, "I'm so sorry." I had somebody call who who, it wasn't her husband, it was her boyfriend, and it's a living situation they shouldn't have been in. But she was in tears, and she said, I had to call the police because he put me through a glass window, and I feel bad about it. Did I do the right thing? I said, of course. (laughs) Of course you did the right thing. And um, if you are claiming to be a Christian and you are guilty of domestic violence, You might not be a Christian. There are a number of warning passages in the Bible, and I want to share these with you before I give you my answer about whether or not divorce is permissible in that context. And they're on the screen. I know we're over time. I knew we were going to go over time. But... For if we go on sinning deliberately, I shared this a couple weeks ago, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Listen, if you're responsible or if you know somebody responsible for domestic violence, here's the, here's, newsflash, here's the reality. God cares deeply about the person who's being abused. And he will not let your behavior go unpunished. Whether on this side of eternity, on the other or on the other side of eternity. Here's another warning passage. Uh, let's read this together, ready? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Did you hear that? And if you're not... We saw what love is defined as in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 13. And then one other passage. uh, 2 Timothy. I'll just read it. But understand this, that in the last days there will become times of difficulty. If you're single and you're thinking about you want to get married, you know, anything, any of these things are true of the person that you're thinking about getting, getting married, or this person's encouraging you to have sex with him or her, or live with him or her, ditch them. Drop them. <laughs> Leave them like, a, like in a New York minute. It's like, it's over. You know, if that's their heart, because they don't really love you. And and what about this marriage that you might find yourself in, and chances are it's either you are in one or you know somebody who is, where you're experiencing domestic violence. What, what do you do? Well, if it's if it's if it's two people who are in the church who claim to be Christian, one being abused by the other, I think the Bible gives us a pathway that involves the church. That's church discipline. Truly I say to you, whoever, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and where, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two, or, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is not a passage on prayer, by the way. This is a passage on church discipline. This is a passage on addressing sin within the camp. And uh, if your spouse is abusive to you on any level, you, you need to reach out to Meadowbrook. You need to call me. You need to call the office. You need to have one. if it's, if, if it's, the, if it's the husband abusing, if your husband is abusing you, reach out to us. Myself and one of the elders will have a sit-down talk with your husband. And I mean that with all sincerity. But that's not the only thing you should do. You should report them. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, I'm wrapping this up, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but it says that government is, the, is God's sword to to, to, to rain down wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, government's all jacked up. I mean, you know, we don't have to get into all that. It's a mess, right? But, but it's an institution that God has designed. And even the worst of governments, God uses to, to uh, suppress evil, believe it or not. Even, even in places like China or Russia or North Korea or South Korea, there, there's still an oppression of evil that happens with the institution of government. And, and so, in fact, when Paul wrote Romans chapter 13, he was under the reign, most likely, of Emperor Nero. Like, think about that for a moment. And if, if I, I believe, and here's... here's Here's where I see the pathway in the Bible, and this is the realm of um, pastoral counsel, and examine it against the Word of God. Don't take this as gospel fact, examine it against the Word of God. If you are being victimized in your home, you need to, uh, this this would be my recommendation, where you're being harmed, get on the phone and call 911. You should have a zero tolerance for any person laying a hand on you in a physical, harmful way. And then call the church. Because you need to be in a place where you're safe. I should have called the police on my dad. I didn't know any better. And the church should have gotten involved. My dad waxed eloquent in the church. They thought everything was great with him. He abused my stepmother. Verbally, and, and there was a that one instance where it was physical. It just The verbal abuse escalated into physical. And if you have a husband who demeans you, or a, spouse who, a wife who demeans you, um, and speaks ill of you, and tears you apart with words, eventually it will become physical and there should be zero tolerance for it. So if it's verbal abuse, contact the church. Get a hold of me, um, and we'll sit down and we'll, we'll work through it. That's the, the, the pathway in Matthew 18, I believe. So the pathway as I, as I, uh, that I think is appropriate first, um, report the incident. If it's physical, then get a restraining order to protect yourself and your child if children are involved. Seek out help from your church family's leadership. Secondly, if your spouse is unwilling to repent, that means change, by the way. It doesn't mean I'm sorry. Sorry is just hot air coming out of your mouth. Real sorrow is change. Just meditate on that for a little bit. If your spouse is unwilling to repent, that is change, and I mean tangible change, then I believe a legal separation is appropriate. I think that's the first step. I've recommended it. And uh, third, it is my opinion that if your... Opinion, I use that word very carefully. It is my opinion that if your husband or wife is physically abusive and does not repent by changing his behavior or her behavior, then your spouse is really not interested in a lasting marriage with you. And I would say that it would be the church's judgment that that person is not a believer. And you treat that person as an unbeliever who has deserted the marriage. Now Paul doesn't make that explicitly clear. Jesus doesn't make that explicitly clear. But I, I, I think applying that to life, wisdom would lead to that end, in my opinion. Divorce is not the first recourse of action, it is the last. And then, um, and then that's the fourth point. I believe that under such rare circumstances that the unrepentant and abusive spouse should be treated as an unbeliever who has already deserted your marriage. And um, I think it's a, it's a long, I, I think it's a messy process of working through that. Divorce isn't the easy answer, but there are steps To protect yourself, does that make sense? All right, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I lift up anybody in this room who's been victimized or is being victimized. God, that you would give them the courage to reach out for help. God, if it's a if it's a, a brother in this room who's being suffering from some form of domestic violence from his wife. I, I know it's very hard to just even address just because of the way we guys are wired. God, I pray that he will reach out to the church and if there's a woman here or women here that have suffered or are suffering under domestic violence, give, them, give her the courage to reach out to get help and that we as a, as a church family could be a catalyst for getting for her getting the help that she needs. So God, we know this is a weighty subject and I know that some of the things I addressed aren't explicitly addressed in your word. So God, forgive me if I have erred in any way. And God give um, diligence that each person in this room would have the diligence to search to search what I've preached and measure it against your word to see if it's true. God, help us to be a place where there's a zero tolerance for any form of abuse, a place where Christians uh, and, and, and people who, who find their way into the doors can thrive and, and, and learn what it means to follow your son and and, and grow in their relationship with you and, and understand what a healthy marriage looks like and, and, and and move in that direction and understand how, how to parent well. And God, I just, I want that for Meadowbrook. And I know you want that for Meadowbrook. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.